Welcome, everyone, to Living with Tole and the Living with Tole Teleseminar. Uh, this is your co-host, Greg Larson. And just want to let everyone know that uh, my, the other co-host, Leo Ristamunio, he was unable to join us tonight. He had some family obligations. And so he is with us in spirit. I talked to him just a few minutes ago. And actually, tomorrow night, Eckhart Tolle will be speaking in New York City, October 6th. And Leo was invited by Eckhart Tolle Teachings to attend. And so uh, he's going to be joining Eckhart Tolle tomorrow night live in New York City and look forward to hearing his report. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about that on the next teleseminar or in an upcoming podcast. But I thought that was pretty exciting and just wanted to share that news. But uh, just to continue with tonight's teleseminar, uh, very excited to have our guest with us, Dr. Ray Doctor. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, mindfulness and mental health, and I'll just uh, scoot over here to the uh, post we put out on Living with Tolle for tonight's uh, topic, and uh, as he says here, the title is The Power of Now in Mental Health, and I'll just share here a little bit from the blog post. Is your mental health blocking you from fully accessing what Eckhart Tolle calls the power of now? And are you looking for an alternative to, to traditional therapy to help you deal with depression or anxiety brought on by too much thinking about the past or future. Now, does that resonate with anybody out there, too much thinking about the past and future? Uh, it certainly resonated with me, and that's why I was excited to have Dr. Ray on our show tonight and talk about some of these new modalities that are emerging and how they're you know, reshaping the field of mental health and how basically those therapies are assisting people in a more meaningful way you know, and as he shares here on his own website, which is where I, I, um, you know, I took this from in our previous conversations, basically, you know, the whole purpose is to live a more meaningful and productive life, you know, and to be able to deal effectively with, uh, you know, our, our noisy mind or our out-of-control mind and, and practices and tips that we can use in our daily lives to, you know, to lessen that activity and to be more mindful, to be more aware and to really live a more meaningful and productive life is what it's all about. So really excited to have Dr. Ray on and, and explore this topic. And just a little bit about Dr. Ray before we start here. Uh, Dr. Ray has a master's degree in counseling psychology and a doctorate in clinical psychology. And he has a private practice working as a counselor, life coach, and sexologist here in Los Angeles. And his training and education includes a gestalt therapy, somatic experience, NLP, meditation, guided imagery, uh, Qigong, Tantra, and yoga. So lots of different areas he's explored there, and I'm sure he'll be introducing some of those tonight. And he's also conducted workshops and lectures in the United States, um, the Netherlands, Brazil, and England, including speaking engagements at UCLA and UC Berkeley. And he has shared the same stage with uh, Marion Williamson, Bruce Lipton, and also Eckhart Tolle. He's appeared on the E Channel, HBO, uh, KCL or KCAL Nine, Los Angeles, which is a local TV station, and has been quoted and written articles for Psychology Today, the Los Angeles Times, Men's Health, and the Santa Monica Daily Press. And so, you know, just very excited to have him on. So, without further ado, we'll bring Dr. Ray on. Dr. Ray, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for for joining us tonight and talking about this very important subject. You know, a lot of people that I interact with, either through my coaching practice or through 
comments and uh, interactions here on living with Tole, you know, a lot of people have tried therapy in the past, and, you know, some people have had some success, but in my sense, a lot of people did not have the success they're looking for, and I'm not 100% sure why that is. I've never actually gone uh, through a therapy program. Uh, The one time where I probably could have used it was when I went through a divorce, but I happened to be introduced to the teachings of Eckhart Tolle. I was I was referred to the power of now at that time, and it helped me to navigate those very challenging times. So, The common thing right. that I hear with everyone who comes into my private practice is that, that they have actually have seen other therapists before, and they, they felt that they were just talking about the same things over and over again, and that, in fact, sometimes it would just trigger them, and they would leave the office feeling worse. So the thing is that when we're talking about past events that, your brain doesn't decipher time, space, or reality. So talking about these things can be contraindicated. In fact, people who suffer with PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, they can go fully launched into some flashback or something that just re-triggers them, and they, they have this rush of emotional charge. And then you, they, after the 50 minutes is over with, they walk out the door. And so imagine how contraindicated that could be. That doesn't sound very healthy, and that's part of the, uh, what the, the reflection I hear also is that they get stuck in this process of, you know, the, the, I guess the term is analyzing, and in yeah. that process of analyzing, you know, I guess you, you, depending on your perspective, you could look at it as some sort of cathartic experience when you talk about it and able to process it. But I'm kind of wondering, you know, the true benefit of that, because I know Eckhart Tolle you know, he says the way to, to, uh, to liberation and to out of the past and future is the now and really not rehashing the past. Actually, I think he says, you know, by exploring your path, it's really an endless pit because you can, you know, just go into it over and over and over again without really resolving anything. And like you said, there's this great chance that you'll be triggered and leave the experience even more upset than when you got there. Yeah, the only, the only therapies that I've seen to be really effective, and, and don't get me wrong, that there's, there's great room for traditional therapy, but the therapies that I've seen that are very effective are the ones where if they do talk about the past, they also bring it up into the future and maybe even try to visualize how they would like to be in this now moment, meaning that you know, they talk about it and how it's been for them, but what they do is they implement into the session the these neural ideas, um, their breathing, their mindfulness, what's going on now. Because if you think about it, when people are talking about problems, it's never about the now moment. It's something that already passed. If, you know, for most people who experience depression, they're stuck in the past. They're talking about the past. But a lot of people who suffer with anxiety, they are talking about the future. <laughs> so just by getting a person to sit down and be in a now, for example, I remember working with some clients, and I do uh, work across the street from a park, that so many people would have so much anxiety before we even start. We would actually walk across the street, we'd sit underneath the tree, and we would breathe. And I'd have the person focus on all the things that are going on around them, from the leaves to the children playing in the park to the grass under, underneath them. Within five, ten minutes, they're back in the now, they're grounded, they feel good, and then it's a lot easier to work with these clients. It's pretty amazing just being in the now. Exactly, exactly. You know, and it's um, just to kind of uh, 
draw a distinction here. I know the, the term that you've brought up, which is mindfulness, and I've seen that in other, you know, psycho- psychology-type publications. You know, I, and I know it's very similar to, you know, being in the now or presence, but if you could kind of just talk about what mindfulness is and how that relates to, you know, being in the now or the power of now or presence as Eckhart Tolle relates to it. Well, when a person is mindful, they're usually curious. You know, they're observing the experience. You know, what is this like? What does this taste like? How is this making me feel? There's this openness. Rather than judging it, they are just examining it. They're being with it. They're just processing it. Um, acceptance. They're accepting the circumstances. There's no resistance. You know, they're still very open. And also there's this loving aspect. They're seeing themselves in these circumstances but still loving themselves. They realize, they, they realize that this will pass. This is just a moment in time. You know, every moment we're changing from one moment to another moment. I mean, life is very fleeting. And so when you're mindful, you're aware of things. I mean, I'll give you an example of my experience I had at the DMV, which is kind of funny, is that, of course, most of us probably don't like to hang out at the DMV. Well, I went in there, and yes, I had a two-hour wait, but I brought a book, I felt really good, and even in that moment, I was thinking, oh, man, I'd like to really go bodyboarding. I sat next to a girl who happened to um, say that she was going out bodyboarding with her friend. So, I mean, if we want to talk about law of attraction, I even attracted that. But the experience was a good experience. I didn't sit, I wasn't sitting in a DMV thinking, oh, this is horrible. It's two hours is just going to take up so much of my time, whatever. I approached it with this mindfulness, allowed myself to be open, and I also attracted a situation that was something that I wanted. So being mindful also helps you attract more of what you want in life. I, I totally agree. And part of our purpose here is to apply the teachings to daily life. And what a more practical experience than waiting in line at the DMV, because I just recently <laughs> did that myself and stood outside the building for an hour before I even got inside and had to sit for another hour. And so uh, I, and you can just see the people, how they're agitated and, you know, shuffling around and, you know, there's not a lot of presence there in that line, unfortunately. But like you said, if you can approach it being more mindful, not yes, only absolutely. is there less, less anxiety or agitation or negative thinking, but you may also harness, like you said, the law of attraction to bring into your experience someone you can have a very, you know, fun conversation with in a sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. You know, and like you uh, in our, in our sharing before, we were talking about this, and, you know, I just wanted to bring this up just again to begin defining what this is. You know, what are some of the characteristics of a mindful person? What would that look like if you were observing them? Well, they're non-judgmental. They're, I mean, for, well, let me actually take that back a little bit. We're always perceiving things. We're always judging. I mean, that's how we survive as a, as a species. I mean, you, you, know, you judge whether or not you're going to cross the street or not or if a person's going to approach you and they maybe look like someone who, who maybe did something harmful to you before. But the thing is that we're always judging, and it's just a survival mechanism. The key thing is not clinging to it. It's becoming more discerning. So it's, it's being this non-judgmental place where you kind of discern more experiences and you let them go. It's being non-reactive. It's, it's not allowing your emotional body to take over you. And as you know that, you know, I mean, you can't always trust your emotions because it might be based on something that happened to you in the past. It might be just an experience. It doesn't mean that there's no room for emotions, but your emotions shouldn't also define you. So being non-reactive to the experience. Um, 
living in the now. I mean, while you're eating, are you tasting your food? Um, while you're taking a shower, are you feeling the hot water in your body? Are you appreciating that you have warm running water? It's living in the now. Um, the, the ability to describe with words your internal world, meaning that in a, in a now moment you can say, I'm feeling this, and not, having, not creating some emotional charge, being able to stay in the now. I mean, believe it or not, some people, you know, you probably hear when you start talking about something that happened in the past or, or even if they're talking about something they fear in the future, all of a sudden they leave the now and they're somewhere else. So the ability to people describe your internal world without losing your ground. And also the capacity for self-observation, uh, being able to observe yourself while you're going through the experience. And so those would be some of the characteristics that, you know, a person who is being mindful, a person who's being in the here and now. And a lot of this, I mean, it, it's, if you've done meditation, I mean, it's, some people think that meditation means that you just kind of clear your mind out completely and that's it. You just push them down. It's not that. It's about trying to find some place where you can maybe focus on one thing and as thoughts come up, is you let go of them. Thoughts come up, you let go of them. And then that alone can, can, can transform aberrant thoughts. It, it definitely, by just being able to not cling to things, allows you to be more in these now experiences. Yeah, exactly. No, what comes to mind is, uh, as you were just saying there, even though, because I'm just relating to my own experience, when I am triggered... And I can feel this, you know, emotional reaction, you know, welling up within me and, and the thoughts that go with that, wanting to spew those out. Nowadays, because I've cultivated a certain degree of presence, I can observe it. So even though there's this reaction and, you know, unconscious reaction and a lot of, you know, based on the past of my experience and in the past I may have said some hurtful things or swore or whatever that is, but now through this, the power of my own presence, there's this, you know, there's this ability to be, to observe that, and like you said, not to judge it as right or wrong or bad or, or you know, something I'm, I'm, I'm a fault of mine or anything like that. It's just that there it is, and through this, this ability to observe it, it can, part of it still comes through because it is strongly conditioned, but it's, there is less and less energy there, so I'm able to manage it better in a sense. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a lesson in everything. And I mean, to the Dallas, it's about embodying the light of all circumstances. You know, in all circumstances, I'll give you an example. I did a workshop a couple weeks ago, and I've never had this experience before, but an individual showed up who definitely had something, something going on. And so, he, you know, everyone felt him when he entered the room. In fact, some of the callers on this, uh, this call might, might have been there, but he, he kind of he, he, uh, was projected onto me, and he definitely was displaying a lot of anger, and I just kind of pushed the reset button, meaning that I kind of got the group back into an alignment with this kind of flow and breathing, and then once again, it came up again, then he became very aggressive. And what was kind of funny about the workshop, one of the topics were how to deal with difficult people. <laughs> he, he, he was my he was my walking talking breathing example and actually um, I diffused it and then he left about 20 minutes after that and then um, I I told everyone that you know we can we can skip this topic we just we just had a demonstration here but 
people ask me, how did you do that? I said, well, I didn't take it personally. I mean, who, whoever oh. he was talking to wasn't me. But, uh, and someone says, well, how did you get there? I said, well, it starts off with maybe today before I even started the day. I did a 10-minute meditation, maybe Qigong. I mean, being mindful is a lifestyle change. It's differently than exercising at the gym and different things like that. And when you practice it, it becomes a part of your life. And so um, I wasn't necessarily prepared for that person. In fact, he could have thrown me off. He was such a great teacher. But from all the work and, and self-cultivation, it, you know, I was able to pull out, pull out my spiritual samurai sword and kind of deflect and move around it and just stay grounded. Well, I just want to repeat that so everybody on the call and listening to the podcast hears this. Difficult people are great teachers for you. And so <laughs> they really do, you know, the whole thing is, you know, how, how present are you? How do you know how present you are? Well, there's a great example right there when a difficult person shows up and you're able to not take it personally, like you said, and just be alert, aware, open, non-judgmental, and then, you know, in, in doing so, that there's, no, there's not this exchange of energy where they're being negative to you, then all of a sudden it triggers a negative reaction. You, there's this, you know, you know, negative exchange of energy back and forth. You're not participating in that because, like you said, it's not even you in the first place. It's this conditioning <laughs> Yeah, the greatest thing about the experience was that when he did leave, he actually looked right at me and he smiled and sincerely said, thanks a lot, Dr. Ray. And so he got something from the workshop. I don't know what it was. You know, maybe I didn't react to him the way that his father did or something, someone else. I'm not sure. I'm not, not going to try to figure it out. But I sincerely felt his um, sincerity in that situation. I hear that, and, you know, just as a little side note here, it's funny you bring that up because I do these workshops locally here on New Earth, and when we did the chapter on the pain body, the whole room was just like crazy, and there was all these people attacking each other and being offended, <laughs> and it was so funny how that subject kind of brought out that, you know, those the pain body. And, yeah, it brought out the pain body. The pain body, and, yeah, exactly. And the whole thing was when it started escalating, I would say, okay, what we need to do is now is just, you know, let's everyone be calm, close your eyes, and just take a few deep breaths. And really, in connecting them to their bodies, even just briefly, it really, it, you know, withdrew energy from those exchanges. And even though they kept popping up, the only thing really I could do was just kind of interrupt it by, you know, interrupting the, the exchange and just asking everyone, really, in a sense, to reconnect to their body, to take that deep breath and feel the aliveness within so we could move forward without that all that negative energy and all that, you know, negativity bouncing around in the room. Absolutely. I'd like to actually just read something that I, that's out of a book called The um, Parenting from Inside Out by Dr. Daniel Siegel, and, it's, and it kind of taps into it, and I actually talked about the brain and its processes about this. It's, and basically he calls when a person's mindful and in, I guess you say, their neocortex, they're, they're open, that he calls us the higher mode or the, or the higher road, and uh, he, he, this is what he says that it does, or being in this mode. It's a form of processing information that involves the higher rational reflective thought processes of the mind. High road processing allows for mindfulness, flexibility in our responses, and an integration of sense of self-awareness. The high road involves the prefrontal cortex and its processes. Now, the low mode is 
processing involves the shutting down of the higher processes of the mind and leaves the individual in a state of intense emotions, impulsive reactions, rigid and repetitive responses, and lacking in self-reflection and the consideration of another's point of view. The involvement of the prefrontal cortex is shut off when one is in the low road. So he explains it right there. And so when a person is in his fight or flight or the pain body, they're somewhat operating from their limbic system or the reptilian brain. And so they're not, whereas what kind of uh, differentiates us from our primates and, and other species is our neocortex. And that, that's where the being mindful, in tune with people, empathetic comes in. So that, that's excellent because, you know, part of the, the in our pre-call, you said you're going to try and bring some of this information in, how mindfulness affects the brain. So if someone was, you know, you know coming from a space where they, they, they had no awareness or no introduction to a, a mindful teaching and they were always being triggered, triggered in the sense that lower brain was always operating, you know, how does that affect the brain? And then also... When you begin practicing mindfulness, how does that begin to shift that process? It's interesting is that this is something to, to take home is that the way that you pay attention to your experiences actually alters the brain in a way that produces well-being, meaning that you actually start changing the neuronal firing. You actually, for example, we're always being bombarded by stimuli and that the way that we perceive that, we create a mental representation of that. You know, then we therefore have a reaction or maybe a, a calm response. And so through mindfulness, we can actually change the structures of the brain. I mean, there's, um, let's, for a moment, let's just imagine, um, let's imagine the tr a tripod of a, say, a video camera, that if you don't have a tripod, the video camera, when you try to shoot something, it's going to be wobbly. It's going to be all over the place. But if you put the camera on top of a tripod, you're going to have much greater detail. It's going to be focused, just like the mind. And so imagine being mindful or through meditation, what you're doing is you're able to see the details of life with much more clarity. I mean, most people, when they have issues, they see that as the totality of who they are rather just a moment in time, which is interesting. And as far as the brain is concerned, that being mindful through meditation, there's other techniques. It could be even surfing or it could be being mindful while you're washing dishes. Um, there's different parts of the brain, like I guess you call the medial um, prefrontal cortex, which in, involves the thalamus, the hypothalamus, the hippocampus, the amygdala, that those parts of the brain all have different functions. For example, say the amygdala, it gives appraisal to incoming stimuli with, without consciousness. So, you know, when we see situations that we either register it as being threatening or non-threatening, and if you're not here now and you have old unresolved trauma, you might see something and immediately go into trauma again. You know, you might avoid situations. And so by being mindful... It helps you restructure these different experiences, literally, so where the next time you are maybe exposed to this stimuli, you don't have that reaction. And that's a powerful process, you know, the whole, 
I've heard this mentioned before, but a big part of this journey, once you've awakened, is truly rewiring yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that can mean different things, but for certain, within the brain, you literally can rewire your, the structure of your brain so that it reinforces presence, mindfulness, observing the world, you know, or in, in a perspective of the world that's more congruent with what reality is instead of having this wiring that supports this, you know, triggering by something that shouldn't trigger it, you know, all this dysfunctional type behavior, I guess you could say. Absolutely. I, I worked at this clinic before, and I was, this is when I was accruing my hours, and I never, my clients, I mean, they were actually, they were seeing results from one to three sessions, and we had um, group supervision, and the other interns were asking me, what are you doing? And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm doing the work. <laughs> I guess this is what we're supposed to do. And many of them had clients they had been seeing for many years. And so when it comes to, like, say, psychotherapy, I mean, let's, there's four phases of healing that I, I, I like to claim I made up, but maybe someone else has also, who knows. But the first stage is that, you know, you recognize the problem. You're no longer in denial. Maybe you uh, got a DUI and you realize that, you know, maybe I do have a drinking problem or maybe it's just fourth marriage and it's falling apart. Maybe you have issues with uh, interpersonal, you know, relationships or something like that. But you're no longer in denial. That's the first step. And the second step is you start maybe talking about it. Maybe you go to AA, maybe talk to a friend, or maybe you talk to a therapist. But that's where most people get stuck because you just end up becoming a great narrator of your story. And that's what I think you're talking about. You know, you see people who've gone to therapy for years and they, they know how to tell, you know, how they are, you know, how they've come to be, but nothing changes. The third step is the energetic shift. And that's where they actually literally change the way that they think and feel that their brain starts restructuring itself. You know, their, their, Sympathetic nervous system is no longer in fight or flight mode. They're able to the parasympathetic nervous system is able to calm the person down. They literally are no longer reactive to things. And then the fourth one is the spiritual component, and that's where a person sees himself as a vehicle. They see rather than seeing themselves as a victim, they start realizing that how their way of being affects all, and that so they start kind of connecting to the bigger picture, and they no longer feel isolated or disconnected from others. So I think a person has to go through all those stages to get to a place where they no longer are reactive to, you know, to prior circumstances. God, you know, I didn't quite hear what number three, what was the uh, title of number three or the, the theme? Oh, number three is the energetic shift. The energetic, energetic shift. okay, gotcha, energetic shift, yeah. gotcha. I mean, that can happen. I mean, that can happen. It doesn't have to happen through... Therapy. It could be someone out there surfing and just all of a sudden they, they have a cathartic experience. It could be someone who maybe they end up getting sick and they're in a hospital for a couple of days and just something goes off. I mean, if anyone has ever, there's, you know, many people who know Bill Wilson who uh, started um, Alcoholics Anonymous, that he had an epiphany. I mean, he had an awakening, but he, you know, he had to hit rock bottom several times before something went off. <laughs> So he had his awakening. So, I mean, it, and none of us know what that is. I mean, we all have a different threshold or what we think is rock bottom, but 
one day we just kind of wake up and something shifts in us. And I've seen people change. I've seen people show up in my office when they're like, you know, they're all over the place. You know, they've been diagnosed with this and that. And then maybe just, I don't know, several sessions later, I mean, they start shifting because they're connecting to their energy body. I mean, it's very important that a person connects to their energy body. And what I mean by that is that we have cellular memory. I mean, you know, what we are and, and how we feel in that moment might be two different things. <laughs> you understand what I mean? Totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of times we're portraying ourselves a certain way, we're projecting things, but how we feel are two different things. So any type of therapy that you do or any type of healing work you do, it needs to be connected to your emotions. It needs to be connected to your, your energy body. So that's what I meant by an energetic shift. Correct. You know, and that's actually, when you bring that up, and another thing I want you to kind of expand on, because, you, you know, the way you phrase it here is somatic awareness. And when I did a little research on somatic, it's basically body awareness. And the, so you, since you were just touching on that right there, you know, can you kind of expand on that, just kind of talk about what somatic awareness is? Because I know Eckhart Tolle, you know, his big thing is the inner body, and, and, and the body, the physical body is a portal into the now. So body awareness and then even deeper, that energy body or that inner body awareness is critical as a path out of the pain and into liberation. Well, it's interesting. People who have actually had, uh, they maybe have take, they've gotten, a, uh, they've had their organs removed and they, they got an organ donor to put something back in their body. What's interesting is that these people have had memories that these other people who are deceased now uh, had. Like, for example, I remember reading something that a person, you know, received the heart of someone who was into classical music, and the person who received the heart, you know, was not really into that. They liked hard rock and whatever it was, and they just started liking classical music for some reason after that. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> it, it like, yeah, and so there's memories in ourselves. And so, I mean, for, for example, a person who, say, who has been sexually abused or something like that, they might have trauma in, in, be, in their thighs. They, they might have it in different parts of their body so they close off when they are, you know, engaging with something with a partner or whatever, and they don't know where it's coming from. So somatic experience is, is about being able to breathe in your body, locate where you're having this feeling in your body, and being able to bring it to consciousness. And rather it being unconscious, and therefore, you know, so you are constantly um, reactive to it and without this feeling of control. So somatic experience is about being able to connect your body and giving it language, giving it meaning, and giving it light. Wow, very powerful. A little bit, you know, uh, I think the, you know, Eckhart Tolle's approach is, is the, the body is a portal, so you connect to the body, become aware of it, which is a good thing. You know, an example is that he says if you're starting to feel the early effects of a, of a cold or flu is to, you know, lay down and scan your body with your awareness and energize your cells in a sense or energize your body so you're, you know, you can uh, uh, help your immune system fight off that. But then you go deeper into that where you go into the energy and it's really not about trying to pinpoint a specific area of the body or trying to label it. It's really about releasing form altogether and just experiencing this energy that we are at our core. Is it, does that resonate with you, or you know, how does that come into the, the way you uh, work with people? 
Well, for example, um, there, there's different techniques out there like that are, I guess you call them newer modalities, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on some of them. So EMDR, which is Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. It's a mouthful. So uh, part of the technique is for a person to connect to the negative cognition that they have about themselves or uh, the circumstances. Then they are supposed to locate in their body uh, where they feel it. They might even give it a color. It might have some type of texture, but they do this without any um, judgment. And so they process that. But in addition to that, they're supposed to connect to how they want to feel or a positive cognition. And through this process, a person will do free association. And I guess you say this by we don't know how it really happens, but they usually start experience, they start alleviating the, the tension and the stress that, that surrounds that issue. And it's pretty amazing, but they're connecting to the, uh, the body. And also the, the eye movement, what that does is that taps into, you know, right and left hemisphere, the left and right hemispheres, which so it helps the person um, integrate. Because a lot of the trauma that we have is, is kind of stuck, and a lot of it is, you can say, is in the right brain. And I think that through EMDR, which is kind of close to uh, REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement, at night when you sleep, your eyes are moving back and forth. That's when you're processing information. And if a person doesn't have REM sleep, they start becoming agitated, maybe a little bit crazy because today is yesterday. I mean, they're just kind of, there's too many thoughts in their head. And so through trauma and experiences like that, it just hasn't been organized. So EMDR helps the person organize that and get in now and allow them to get in their body. And people say so many different things. I mean, one thing that's cool about that type of therapy is that it doesn't really matter what you say. I mean, they're not analyzing you. It's what comes to mind. What, and it could be anything. It may be something that has nothing to do with, with the original target that you're talking about. So, and then uh, one of the techniques, which is, it's, it's called dialectical behavioral therapy, and it's like the number one treatment for um, borderline personality disorder. What is interesting is that it's the mindfulness part of it. They teach these clients um, the stress tolerance skills. Basically, teach people, their clients how to observe, describe, and participate. How's that sound? I mean, does that sound familiar? Observe, describe, and participate. They teach their clients how to self-regulate so they don't become uh, so caught up in their emotions and they lose themselves. It's really about grounding themselves and being able to observe the experiences and let them go. Sounds like a spiritual practice to me. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Although the, the language is, is a little more technical, but ultimately I think, you know, what you're pointing to is that, you know, the, the technicians in a sense are beginning to realize that these kind of spiritual practices or this being aware, being present, experiencing the, the moment as it is, is a very powerful uh, process for alleviating the, the conditions that come about because of overanalyzing or overthinking about the past and future. Well, when I do interviews with people and they're telling me that this happened to me and I already worked it out with a therapist, and I can see in their eyes they start crying and they are back into that trauma, I tell them that I, you know, you, I'm not sure if you really processed that yet because it seems as though whatever happened to you back then is happening now. <laughs> you understand? So, I mean, if a person has truly processed some type of trauma, 
usually they're able to talk about, just my experience, it might be different for other people, that they're able to talk about that more in a matter of fact now. I mean, it's as if they process it, it's not under the rug, but it's in a nice organized file cabinet. And if they want to uh, go back and explore again, they can pull up the file cabinet and they can go to that, whatever that section and go, yes, this is what happened to me back in 1982. And there's no emotional charge because they're still in here now talking about a story that happened then, but they're still present in here now. And that's ultimately where I try to get my clients to. And that sounds a lot like what enlightenment is. It's basically, or you know, as what, what you could also say liberation. It's where you're able to talk about anything in the past in a sense or talk about a future or something coming up where there's a, an understanding and an awareness of what it was or what it is but there's no longer a reaction that happens as that's being talked about. You can be present. Yeah. You can acknowledge what life is. You can acknowledge what happened in the past. You can talk about this event coming up, but you're so present and, and uh, available to it, it doesn't bring up this conditioning, and that conditioning is what you know, renders us unenlightened in a sense or unliberated. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, what's interesting is that... Um, They've done, these, uh, they've done research on individuals who actually meditate, and the area of the brain where um, a person is able to practice this mindfulness, which includes some of the parts of the brain, the thalamus and the, the parts of the amygdala, the hippocampus, that the fibers in that part of the brain are thicker. Isn't that interesting? Now, they don't say that if you meditate, you grow these stronger fibers, but what they're saying is that basically for some reason, and these individuals, because they cannot make that claim, uh, that it's thicker. I mean, it's more developed. So being mindful, I guess you say it's almost like you're, you're actually exercising some muscles in your brain that are going to help you be more in the here and now. I mean, like for, I'll just give you an example. Like the thalamus, is which is one of the parts in the brain that is – it's like the relay between – your subcortical areas, and your, your neocortex. And so for most people, they react right away. And the, the thalamus is like the part of the brain where it, it helps regulate arousal. It, um, it's, uh, it's kind of that it helps, it gives you that delay. So if you have an experience, rather than reacting, you're able to go, whoa, but this is different. And often you introduce curiosity, then boom, you respond with love and gentleness. And it's because you, you've practiced that. You've exercised that part of your brain, literally. Hmm. Yes. Totally got that. And it's lots of interesting stuff, I'm sure, with brain science. And it's wonderful that they're able to, to look in, a, in ways that they are these days to begin confirming how important, like you just said, how, how important meditation is, how it can strengthen these areas of the brain that lead to more empathetic and open response instead of from this this condition that comes from the lower areas of the brain. Yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. The, the, some of the stuff that I'm, I, actually the book that I, the little section I read, that's from Dr. Daniel Siegel, and he has a lot of amazing information out there, and he, he meditates. He is an advocate for all of that. In fact, he and a bunch of scientists uh, actually went into silence, I think, for eight days just to become more aware of themselves and, and actually how their mind works. <laughs> Isn't that amazing when you get a bunch of scientists who are saying, 
you know, what is this about? Let's try this out. <laughs> and, of course, he says that it drove him crazy. He couldn't believe how noisy his mind was. <laughs> I think that's, that should be, uh, you know, that should be part of Psychology 101 when you decide to take that <laughs> up at the, 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 you know, master's or his Ph.D. level. That should be the first week is go spend a week with your own thoughts. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. That's Perfect. Well, as we're coming around to the, the later half of the call here, I want to make, uh, you know, a space available for people to ask questions or to talk about maybe a, a, a situation they're going through and see if you have any insight for them. So if you're on the call tonight and you want to ask Dr. Ray a question or, sh or share your experience to possibly get some insight into what you're going through, uh, go ahead and hit star six on your phone and that will let me know that you have a question. I'll, I'll hit the button that will bring you to the call. And we would love to have people, you know, share their experience, ask a question. You know, we'd love to have people interact with us here. So going forward here, if you have any question or if you have any, uh, anything you want to share, please feel free to hit star six on your phone so you can join the conversation. You know, just in these last few minutes here, if you want to talk about, you know, um, just basically practical techniques, you know, as I mentioned earlier, big you know focus of our, our of our podcast, Living with Tolly, is about applying the, these teachings to everyday life. So, what is it that people can do to, you know, um, uh, you know, do this? And actually, there's someone who wants to ask, uh, wants to join the conversation. So, we'll do that first, and maybe you can wrap up the conversation with some of those techniques you're talking about. So, one second here. Okay. Okay. All yes, right. I who do we have on the line? Uh, my name is, uh, I'll call myself uh, Greg. Hey, Greg, how are you doing today? Pretty hey, good. Greg. I'm wondering what your thoughts are um, uh, on, on marijuana and how that could possibly lead to enlightenment and then maybe backing away from marijuana and uh, transitioning to something like this. Because I've had some experiences, uh, I'm not I'm, I'm not a... A, um, what I would call a, a heavy user, but I've had some experiences using it that I've had in no other way that follows almost identical to what you are talking about. And I've read some of Eckhart Tolle's uh, um, uh, readings and things of that nature, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on, on, on something like that as a possibly a tool that could enlighten you and open some doors that maybe were not accessible uh, prior to that. I'll stand well, by as, far, as far as marijuana is concerned, that there's there's one thing I'll first bring up. One thing it, it does do, and that is that it does incapacitate the temporal load. So it can affect memory, and it can affect all those areas I just mentioned. And so that's why oftentimes people start, you know, they have short-term memory issues. So right. that's one thing it, it can do. Let's say that would be like the more negative thing. Right. Whereas marijuana is a more, has a more yin property to it. So if you are stressed and your mind is all over the place due to work and finances or relationship, then it probably can mellow you out and become, so you can become more sensitive in your body. I mean, for the most part, men are so much in their heads. And so I know that marijuana has a very uh, yin property to it, literally, and so it mellows them out so they can be more essential and, and, and in their body. And so they can have these experiences. Um, so that's my opinion on that. I mean, in, all, in addition to that, it's, what's important, though, is that 
you know, when it, it depends on how much you're smoking also. I mean, is what you're feeling or sensing, is it real is, or is it something that's just because, you know, you're high, you're, you're seeing right. it that way. So What, what I found, it, though, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What, what I found is, is that <clears throat> um, some of the sensations that almost parallel what you're talking about um, continue on um, long after I am no longer, you know, what, what you might call high. So it is, it is, is, is maybe an actualization through smoking marijuana that I have come to some of these conclusions and, so, and realized, well, you know, maybe I don't need to smoke it. And maybe what you just said, that the, 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 uh, the, the actual calming of the brain is also a form of enlightenment um, through this. Well, I, I, <laughs> it's a, quite a big claim to, to call you know, for us to, you know, to judge what is a enlightenment or not. But, right. um, but I, I do – a second here, i got an incoming call me ignored. Um, is that if, as long as it, you are not controlled by it, I mean, as long as it, you can do it both ways, I, I think that's great. You know, that's what's really important. And – I, again, that you know, a lot of indigenous people, you know, use different, you know, um, substances out there to, you know, connect to spirituality. I also know that a lot of Westerners, you know, they take that and they kind of run with it, and it, it really depends on your intentions and, and where you're coming from. That's that would be my opinion. Is that, for example, like if a person's asking, you know, is it okay to smoke marijuana? I will tell them is that if you're doing it to get, if, if it comes from a place of fear, like if this is the only way for you to get the edge off, then there's a possible chance that you'll attract more experiences like that. But if right. you are entering it from a place of love and like it's more ritualistic, meaning that you take a couple of hits and you go for a hike or you go out into the, the woods or something, it might be different. It just really depends on how you do it. It's your intentions more than anything else. I see. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yes, it does. It, 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 I, I think you're absolutely right because, um, uh, it, it, uh, and I use it predominantly for, um, as a musician and, and sometimes uh, when I'm reading as well because of, of um, what could potentially be called this post-traumatic, uh, post-traumatic stress, which I'm still trying to get my head around. But I found that it, 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 has, it seems to lower the volume of life to a point where I can um, begin to start appreciating the now. Um, yes. Because I, I, I found that it, um, potentially the baggage of my experiences have led me to put too much into my brain. And, and by actually smoking marijuana, uh, I found that it, it, it tends to release some of, the, uh, the, some of that baggage and create a clarity uh, so I'm, I'm approaching it in, in more of a, of, of, a, of a positive way. I've noticed that, you know, that, that when I play music, that I'm, I'm much more into the mindfulness beyond any capability that I've ever had beforehand. So the, the mindfulness in which you were talking about, I mean, I can appreciate the strings on the guitar and the harmonies of other singers, and the, I, I have become kind of a in tune in a collective way of all of the things that are happening as opposed to just me singing and playing the guitar. And it, I've noticed that it has radically changed my approach to music and how I perform with other people 
and how I um, uh, am able to look at music in general, I guess. And, and, and that kind of has transitioned to other areas of life. So for me, it's kind of an enigma as a relatively new uh, marijuana user in my 50s. So this isn't, wow. something, this isn't something that I've been doing all my life. This is something that I started uh, about um, oh, um, may, maybe four months ago. I hadn't smoked ever in my life. So you can imagine 54 years old. I smoked my first uh, marijuana joint, um, predominantly uh, prescribed for um, pain here in, in where I live, uh, and finding out that, you know what, it didn't really do what I thought it was going to do for the pain, but what I was absolutely shocked about was is that I had this entirely new perspective uh, on, on many of the things that you have just talked about. Now, uh, I'm also pursuing some of that through reading uh, uh, and 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 meditation and mindfulness, but, but it really, uh, I have to say that it kicked the door open for me, a door that I didn't know existed. So I'm, I'm not an 18-year-old guy going, hey, dude, let's, let's go out and, you know, party. This was, this was administered to me for uh, pain through a doctor, uh, only to realize that, you know, it had, it had, it had um, um, results that I had absolutely not expected. Great. Well, thank you for your call. Thank you for your for for your discussion. Yeah, thank you also Greg. And I also want to bring up just one thing that I I've become aware of is that you know, and it, it it's to each individual and you have to to evaluate your own experience depending on where where your level is or where you're coming from when you initially come to you know, when you awaken, and you might have that experience through smoking marijuana or some other substance. It might be a bridge to you know, a, a deeper sense or a more aware sense, but ultimately it, it is only a bridge. And in my experience, as I've grown deeper in presence, um, that my, my presence is far more valuable than and, and much, a much richer experience and a more, and a more fuller experience than getting high. Because I used to get high in the past, and it, it's been a few years since I've done anything, I'm on hiatus right now from anything, even alcohol, because I'm trying to just be present and experience this. But in my last experience, I remember when I got high, it, it, I was agitated in a way that I'm normally not because I have a certain level of presence. So I was able to discern that, you know what, it wasn't, it wasn't beneficial to me anymore to do that. Well, I, you know, I, I, and that's one of the things that I've been wondering about is, is that uh, as, as I continue down this journey, will, will that become less and less relevant to me? And, 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 and that's, it's, that's unanswered at this point, uh, but it, it's certainly I, I'm in the beginning of this journey right now of living in the present and the now and, and appreciating uh, the mindfulness of the moment. Perfect. Well, thank you for bringing up, Greg. We've never had that uh, topic on the call before or on the podcast before, so it'll be <laughs> okay. interesting. Well, people, it's I'm great sure. to be so, unique. <laughs> all right. Perfect. Thank you, sir. I'll take care. All right, well, we're coming to the last few minutes here, so if anyone else has a question, please be sure to hit uh, star six on your phone so you can, uh, uh, again, ask your question or share your experience. But as we wrap this up, Dr. Ray, again, any of those real practical things that people can do to, you know, cultivate mindfulness and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I'll just, live I'll, in the I'll middle. I'll a couple, couple things. Uh, you, obviously, I, I brought up meditation several times, hiking, get massage, actually being able to really feel your body. Um, so actually, uh, 
even setting your uh, an alarm on your phone, so every two hours an uh, alarm goes off, and that's to remind you to kind of shut your mind up and breathe for two minutes. Simple reminders like that. Um, there's just start pick up a journal and start writing down your thoughts without holding back. Just be open to whatever comes to mind. That's a great right brain exercise. Uh, sitting in nature, um, observing your thoughts, let them come and go. Um, Listening to music. There's there's so many different ways that you can do that. And of, of course, you know, seeing a specialist you know, and, and find one that works for you. Um, going to possibly a, a recreational park or a playground, and watching children play, and just kind of notice how like you'll see a little boy get on a slide and maybe he'll go face first and he'll hit the sand and get dirt in his mouth and he'll spit it out and he might even cry, but he's not traumatized. He'll get back up and he'll get back on the slide and he'll go feet first. I mean, he's not. He's not thinking, oh, my God, this sucks. It's always going to be this way, like how we adults become. We, we, we get caught in a path. They just kind of keep going. Their children are so resilient. So it's all these different things can be a great way to just remind ourselves to be mindful and be aware of the world around us. Yeah, well, I have two kids. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and I see that all the time. You know, obviously things come up and they're, they're frustrated or they're um, – you know, like they, they fall off the slide or something like that, but they're, they really do let go of things so quickly. And Absolutely. it does, you know, it, they just, it doesn't affect them. It really is powerful to witness that and to know that, that that's really, as human beings, that's our natural state to be open and to be, you know, willing to, to keep moving forward in a positive way. Unfortunately, we lose that, you know, as we grow older and, and into adults or into our, maybe into our teens, I don't know where that transition happens where we get caught up in our experience and thinking about it and judging it. But then that begins to, I think, as you said, it be, those thoughts or those ways of being begin to condition our brain, and then it becomes who we are. Instead yeah. of being who we truly are, we become that conditioning. And, you know, what you're talking about, and I know what Eckhart Tolle talks about, is all about undoing or disentangling that conditioning. Yes, yes. Powerful. And again, a couple other things. You know, you mentioned hiking or being outdoors. Very powerful. This is mentioned a, a lot with the teachings of Eckhart Tolle, connecting to nature. Nature is present. It's not trapped in thinking about the past or worried about the future. It's very present. So being in nature, observing nature, very powerful spiritual practice. A bird, a bird doesn't try to be a bird. A bird is just a bird. <laughs> He's not hanging out in the tree going, oh, God, you know, can I be a bird? I mean, human beings are always trying to be something else. <laughs> and so if we can just sit in nature and just observe the animals around us, we realize that, you know, we're exactly where we're supposed to be and we're beautiful gods and goddesses. Exactly, exactly. That's, I think that's a big one especially as I, you know, interact with people here out in L.A., it's trying to be someone, trying to be that image or that, you know, that success or that, you know, whatever that is. And in doing so, you disconnect from who you are and really uh, how you can flourish or, you know, thrive in a sense. That trying to be something else diminishes how you're able to thrive or how you're able to express yourself. So very powerful awareness there. Yes, yes. And I, I would also agree with uh, the one as far as seeing a specialist. And I you know, just want to let people know that Dr. Ray does have a practice. And if you're local here in Los Angeles, he has an office. And, and you also take clients uh, out of town or over the phone, Dr. Ray? 
Um, yes. I mean, I do, for the most part, I work here in um, West Los Angeles, but I do um, some of my sessions over the phone or through Skype. Excellent. There you go. So if you're not local in Los Angeles and you want to reach out, uh, Dr. Ray's contact information will be on the Living with Tolly website. And, um, and I, I agree, it's very powerful. You know, if, you're in, if that's where you're at and you know that you need support to reach out to someone for support, a professional for support. And so that's definitely something that's very helpful also. All right, excellent. Well, we've reached our, our, the conclusion here of this journey we've taken this evening, and I'm so grateful for uh, your ability to join us tonight and to share your wealth of experience and knowledge and wisdom. Thank you so much, Dr. Ray, for, for joining us and, and you know, contributing to this conversation, a very important conversation around mental health and how these mindfulness practices or the power of knowledge can help us with a journey if that's what you're, you're choosing to do. Thank you so much for your time and, and energy, and I really appreciate what you're doing. Excellent. Yes, well, we're here to, uh, you know, as I, we mentioned at the very beginning of this journey a couple of years ago, and me and Leo started out in the summer of 2008, we were simply listening to how we're being called to serve. And so, you know, obviously this topic is, is within that, you know, strongly. So we're just continuing on that journey of listening to how we're being called to serve and, and, uh, you know, as topics and as subjects are revealed to us, we just pursue them and follow them. So here we are in this conversation tonight, and I look forward to uh, releasing this as a podcast. And and, uh, and and for those on the phone tonight, you know, in a few weeks we'll have this released. Uh, and when you can you can download it, please share it with those you know and um, who might be interested. And, and head on over to livingwithtoy.com. And if you have a comment, we have a comment section on the website. We'd love to have you, you know, comment there, share your experience and and continue with the conversation over there. So so thanks, Dr. Ray, and thanks for everyone who, for joining us live tonight on the call, and thanks for Greg for uh, asking a, a great question that hopefully will, uh, will uh, contribute to other people as they're listening there as far as bringing some perspective to the use of uh, marijuana in you know this spiritual journey. And uh, that's it for tonight. Thanks, everyone, so much, and we'll connect soon on the next teleseminar. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.